How's everyone doing this morning? Man, it's good. It's like, it's a little warm. We called that in for everyone who said it's normally too cold. We said, turn on the heat and then forget that it's on. And they did. So you're welcome. <laughs> the joys of being portable, right? Well, I'm excited that you're here this morning. We're in our uh, Kingdom Builder series, and I really want to encourage you. Uh, we have been talking about all that God did in the past year for Kingdom Builders and planning for all that we're believing God to do in Kingdom Builders uh, this coming year. And uh, if you aren't aware of what those projects are, I don't have time to go through all that Kingdom Builders did, but if you do one of two things, if you go online to banner.church slash Kingdom Builders, there's actually a little PDF, a digital PDF that lists out everything that was supported through Kingdom Builders. It lists out the over $140,000 that was given to Kingdom Builders. It lists out the over 20 missionaries that were support, supported around the world, the over 900 families uh, that were impacted in our community, the over 400 backpacks, a uh, 1,000 toys, I think it was. It lists out the different homes that have been ministered to and, and, and people supported, how many teachers were supported through that initiative. It uh, lists out um, the building and explains the building that we purchased and uh, that we're not doing another thing to try to work on the building, but that we have that funded from the sale. And so we're working on the building. Actually, you know, now we're in that process. If, if you're new to Banner, we have a new building we're very, very excited about. Um, so it lists all that, and then it lists all of the things that we're going to do in 2024, believing that people will be generous, and we're very blessed to be able to plan based off generosity because we've always had a very kingdom-minded, generous church. So we haven't had to slow down um, at all because we have such a generous church. Um, now, Kingdom Builders will look different because there's not necessarily the capital campaign element included, but as part, part of local church expansion, we've always done things like sponsoring students to go to youth camp, uh, really believing the next generation. So, I mean, sponsoring students who do not go to Banner, people from the neighborhood to go to youth camp. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll sponsor anybody. You want to go to youth camp, I'll find a way to get you there. But if you're a youth, if you're not, that's weird. Don't go. Unless you want to be a chaperone, in which case I have a background check you can fill out. Um, we'd love to have you go. And so would our youth team. Um, but as part of our initiative this year for future church expansion, we as a church are moving into an area that is dramatically more Spanish-speaking than we've ever had. And that has always been our heart. But we've always struggled to have what I consider a profound next step for our Spanish-speaking community to not feel like they're doing another thing, but to be like we're one family. And so we've been really praying, God, how are we going to do this beyond... Um, just sending out some cards and, you know, we, we've done translation and all kinds of things in service, but we wanted to be much more intentional and missional with that effort to not only bring in, but to disciple, to raise up leaders and to really have an apostolic vision. And so God has very graciously uh, sent us a, a couple who's going to come and help and be a part of launching that initiative. So could you welcome Pastor Robin this morning? I'll have you guys, why don't you just introduce yourselves, share a little bit about, I mean, you guys have an incredible history and ministry together uh, all around the world. So why don't you uh, share a little bit, introduce yourselves, and then maybe share about a little bit more about what God's doing. Okay. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Robin, and she is Susie. 
about a year ago, uh, Josh and I met up in, up in uh, Paradise Valley, actually. And we just made sure that we kept on with relationships. Drinking coffee, that's a good place to maintain relationships, right? When I heard that, that uh, you guys were coming to Mesa, I said, you know what? There's a lot of Spanish-speaking people down there. And God's put in my heart to work with Spanish-speaking people. I just want to plant this little seed in your heart, you know. And so God's made that seed grow. And right now, the little head is, you know, how the little plant comes up out of the ground and, and it's starting to show itself. But God's got something in mind. He's got something in his heart. And so just the pastor said, why don't you just give a little bit of a background so you, know who, so you guys know who in the world these guys are. All right. Um, when we were young and we had a six-month-old baby, Actually, we had a three-week-old baby when we went to Spanish language school, and he was six months old when we went to La Mira, Michoacan, Mexico, and uh, with our little baby, who, by the way, now is uh, 42 years old, and he and his wife are missionaries in Kenya, Africa. <clears throat> Both of them are doctors, and they are doctors in a, a hospital in Tenwick. Uh, Africa, Doug. Doug and Becky, would you please stand up? Yeah. <laughs> Becky is her sister. Doug, in Spanish, he would say, co-cuñao, which means we are not related by blood. We're, we're co-brother-in-laws, right? And so we went with them to uh, Africa, and he had an issue with, what do you call it, like a... A thing that got infected, right? And we were in Kenya. My, my son and his wife were in the United States, but they took care of him by internet, and they brought him, they being the, the, the Kenyan brothers, brought him to Tenwick to fix him. <laughs> Can't get any better than this, I tell you. So anyway, they're, they're up there. So we were in Mexico for 15 years and planted a church, uh, were, were, the, were the, the directors of a missionary training school. Back in those days, there weren't too many Mexican missionaries. Now they're all over the place. We run into Mexican missionaries in China, everywhere. But back in those days, there weren't very many. So we had a missionary training school. And so that's, that's what we did back in China for 15 years. The next period in Mexico. In Mexico. That's why I married her. I don't have the brain she does. Next thing we did was uh, I traveled. We were living in the valley here. She took care of the kids. They were in high school and, and junior high. Uh, but I traveled for many years. Just to, to put it in your mind when that was, I was in South Africa on 9-11, the original one. Yeah, we, I was, I was uh, I'll know you, it's one of those, you know, does anybody here forget? I, I, does anybody here not remember what happened on 9-11? I was teaching in, a, in an afternoon seminar, and somebody came running in and said, you got to come. So the whole bunch of us went and watched on a big TV and watched the second plane fly into the, the second tower. But it, that's, that's uh, what God had me doing during several years. Every year during those years, I would go to Myanmar. Some of you might know Myanmar as Burma, which is in Southeast Asia. And every time we went, we got invited. 
please come to Burma, please come to Burma, please come to Burma, please come to Burma. And one time when we were there, the Lord was talking to me, you really need to come to Burma. And Susie sent me a, a, a email. She said, I just quit my job. <laughs> so we went to Burma. What can I say? And Thailand. Missionaries have this issue called visas, right? So we had two months in Thailand, two months in Burma, two months in Thailand, two months in Burma, two months in Thailand for years, back and forth, back and forth, uh, ministering, t uh, promoting holistic ministry. If you want to know what that is, come and talk to me later. It'd take me too long to talk about it now, but holistic ministry in those two countries for eight years. I want to tell you a story about Thailand, but we're jumping forward to actually just last year, but it's still Thailand, right? When we were there back in those days, now if you're mathematically inclined, uh, you'll get this. If you're not mathematically inclined, pretend. All right, back in those days, 0.5% of the Thai population was Christian, half of 1%, okay? And most of those Thai Christians were uh, came came from the tribal regions up in north. You know, they weren't from the Buddhist Thai background. Almost all of them were. Very, very, very few Thai Buddhist converts. This last year, Susie and I went to Thailand two times. The first time we went, we went to this hotel. It's called Avana. Wonderful name, right? Avana Hotel. When we got there, we found out that Avana means Eve, as in Adam and Eve. We went for a walk, and we were walking out down the street, and we're looking back at the hotel. It was, you know, a big, big hotel, 11 stories tall. And we looked at the front of it and had Havana. And over here, and it said, God heart you. In English, God loves you in Bangkok, Thailand, on the side of a hotel. This wasn't the Thailand that we knew from before. This is last year, right? Okay, so we're sitting there at breakfast in the morning, and all these people are coming in and hugging each other. And I said, Susie, Thais don't hug each other. What's going on here? These guys look like Christians. So we went out there and started talking to us. What are you guys doing? I said, we're having church right here. You're what? So the next, not that Sunday, we had plans for that Sunday, but the next Sunday we went to their church. Oh my goodness. They used two of the, the conference rooms. This conference room was full of people and that conference room was full of people and there's a door between them. These were Thai Buddhist converts. Last year, the percentage of Thais that are Christian was Point seven percent. Let me help you with your math. From 0.5 to 0.7, that's a 40% increase. And these people that are converting are from the Buddhist background. It's the most amazing. When we were living there, if you, you, you they, they say, you want to evangelize the, the, Thai, the Thai Buddhists? Great. It takes you 15 years. Literally, that's what it used to take. Now they're coming in. Seriously, seriously. While we were there, we heard this name, Dana Metcalf. Who in the world is Dana Metcalf? Okay. 
some of some of the brothers went to Dana Metcalf's church and came back here over a cup of coffee. He started talking about Dana Metcalf. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I know that name. Where did I hear that name? Last week I heard that name in Bangkok. So next time we went, Susie and I went, we said, we're going to go visit this church at Dana Metcalf. Just for some of you that are new to the church, Dana Metcalf was the pastor before Joshua. Josh was here in this church. And so we went, so the first, we got there a couple days early because we just wanted a vacation. We were in a hotel, not in the Avena Hotel. So I got a, a we said, let's go to the, the, this, this, I think it's called Banner Church, right? You know what it's called? Okay. Okay. I'll just say Banner. So I got a, got a, we got in a taxi and said, we're going to go to this address. So we got in the car and getting ready to go, you know, Thailand's, or Bangkok is one of those major cities of the world, right? It's just huge, monstrous. So we got ready to drive. He drove down the street and around the block, and there we were. <laughs> we walked home after church. Amazing fellowship. Absolutely amazing fellowship. We got to shake hands with, with uh, Dana. Absolutely amazing. After Bangkok, between that Thai and this last Bangkok, this, the two stories I told, we went to China. For many years. Chin is from Chengdu. You're from Chengdu, right? Yes. Chin is a friend of a friend. Mark and Helen. Her her uh, her, her her buddies, her mentors in Christ. Mark said, You gotta get Chin. She, she's going to school over. You gotta get her into a good church. I know a good church. I'll bring her over here. If you don't know Chin, you gotta meet Chin. <laughs> so anyway, we were there in China for eight years until COVID kicked us out. But it's not like we're gone. Tonight at, what did I say, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, I start teaching 30 hours of classes, not in Chengdu and in Shandong, which is up in the northern part of China, uh, to, to a Bible school. That, the thing that got, Susie and I went to do was to plant a Bible school in China. In China, if you want to plant a Bible school, you don't build a building. You do it incognito, right? And so where we, we've, we've actually been, both of us have been up to where their Bible school is, and they literally dug a hole in the ground. Talk about an underground church. They literally dug a hole in the ground, and it's down, in the, it's down under, underground. But anyway, we, um, that's what we'll be doing this afternoon. So that's who we are. And uh, later on, I have a chance to share a little bit more about the heart, my, our heart, my heart for the Hispanic community here in Mesa. But I thought, first of all, you need to know who in the world uh, these guys are, what their backgrounds are. We've old, we've been there long, around for a little while, and that's, that's a little bit what the trajectory looks like. Come on. Yeah. Hey, we're really excited, and, and next week they're gonna, they're gonna share even more um, about what, what God's doing. But man, it's exciting when the Lord brings great people, right? It's crazy you can have a connection through Mexico, through Thailand, and all those kind of things. So can we just, can we pray together again um, as we begin? Lord God, we thank you for this incredible couple. God, we just thank you for their leadership and for the opportunity, what's happening around the world. And God, we just pray as we give generously, God, that it would just be multiplied in this outreach and in this opportunity as we meet the, the neighbors and the friends in our city. God, we thank you for that in your name. Amen. 
Amen. This morning, I just want to briefly talk about kingdom-minded generosity. If you didn't know, all of these great things that uh, we do in Kingdom Builders, they take money. But I also recognize that money is one of the, I don't know, it's, it's a touchy subject for people. I don't know if you knew this, but Jesus actually talks about money almost more than any other topic. He talks about it really an incredible amount. And the reason that he talks about it is not because he's concerned about inflation or he's worried about, you know, the spending power of a dollar or, a, you know, a Caesar stamped coin. The reason that Jesus constantly talked about money was because he knew that we cannot serve two masters that we cannot serve both money or God, and that Jesus was consistently teaching his disciples, those who would believe in him and follow him, how to be faithful in the small things and therefore see God do miracles and greater things and greater blessings through that faithful obedience. Matthew 6, 24. I want to jump there this morning. We're just going to move quick through some scriptures today. So don't worry, they're going to be on the screen and I'll have them leave them up a little long. So if you need to write it down, you can and you can go even read more later. But Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Really, since uh, money or let's say even wealth was created, it has always had a hold on us as people. And since it's always had a hold on us as people, when you're in leadership and you speak on money, it's always a touchy subject, right? Because if it didn't have a hold, it wouldn't be a touchy subject. If I told some of you to lay down eating Brussels sprouts, that would not be a problem for you because you don't hold them dear. Some of you, you're, you know, you do. And, you know, God bless you and the smell of your home. My home always smells a little funky from those Brussels sprouts. But money has a hold on us. And I think it has a hold on us in a very real, real way and for a real reason is that money is linked to our physical needs and our desires, right? And so because money is linked to the fulfillment of our physical needs and our desires, what we do with our money declares who we trust with our physical needs and who we trust with our desires. And so in church, many things get to be nice and theoretical and live off in the distance. They get to be somewhat separate. Yes, I feel like we should go into all the world. But it gets to live a, a little more ethereally for some people. But here's the reality about money. Money is a daily physical reality for every single one of us. And so from the beginning, God taught his people on money. Because he knew that where his people put their resources, they would put their hearts. And I have to say, as a minister of 15 years, I have seen this true time and time again. The people who have the biggest issue with finance and money and where they put their money, it comes down to not a money issue, but a heart issue. And so I've always taught on finances because it's my job to teach what Jesus teaches, not to just teach fluffy things. Because it is the real teachings of Jesus Christ that transform our lives, renew our spirits, and lead us towards a blessed life. 
The big question of humanity has always been, the big question of the children of God has always been, will they recognize God's sovereignty, providence, and provision, and therefore receive his blessing? Will they trust God with their resources and therefore their hearts? Here's the truth in scripture, if you didn't know this. Giving is a blessing. Ask anybody who gives and they'll tell you, giving is a blessing. Ask anybody who doesn't give and they'll say giving is not a blessing. But ask anybody who does give and they'll say giving is a blessing. Because when we begin to understand money the way God intends it with a kingdom perspective, we begin to understand the blessing of giving. And there's two primary ways that scripture teaches us to respond as God's children with money. One is through tithe and one is through offering. You'll see over and over in scripture, there's moments of generous giving. There's moments of above giving. There's moments of God-led giving. And then the other largest uh, sample of giving you'll see is the tithe. So I want to start and just explain tithe for a second because I want to give you some biblical foundation this morning. One of the, the strongest expressions we see of this idea of tithe comes from Malachi, where God is correcting his people for not tithing. So do not hear this as an attack on you. Uh, this is the Lord speaking to his people, but let us be directed and guided by his word. Amen? So Malachi 3, 6, it says this, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob. Who are the children of Jacob? Israel. Thank you. Gold star. Whoever said that? Who was that? Sydney. Gold star for Sydney. You are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you've turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. He says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? And God responds like this. He says, will man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And he says, in your tithes and in your, in your contributions. He says, you're cursed with a curse for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. He said, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, the Lord says the Lord of hosts. This is the only time that God says to test him. He says, therefore, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the window of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more. He said, I'll rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Finally, he says that all the nations will call you blessed for you'll be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. So God is correcting his people who are under the covenant or under the law. And he's saying, listen, part of the agreement here was that you would bring the ma'aser or you would bring the tenth to me, right? Written down in Leviticus was you're, you're to bring the tithe or the word there is literally the tenth in to me and I will bless the rest. Let me explain the Lord is saying there's a first fruits, the first tenth, you return to me, and then I will bless the rest. And so the people of Israel were not returning to God the tenth. You'd say, well, why is it robbing God, right? Isn't it their money? And God's using the word return on purpose. Because you don't return something that belongs to you. You return something that belongs to somebody else in this scenario. He's saying, listen, it's mine. You need to return it to me. Everything I've given, you need to return the tenth. But they were not. See, tithing was meant to teach a principle from God. And it's very simply this. God has given everything. He asked his people to return a tenth that already belongs for him. And so it's a principle to see 
Will the children of God thank him for providing their income and make it clear that he has lordship of their life? Right? It's a testing principle. He says, test me, but he's also testing his people. He's saying, will you understand that I've provided everything, and therefore will you return to me what is from me? Are you still with me? Okay, for time, I'm trying to go quick, so I'll give you the notes after if I blew by something. Right? <laughs> But this is what's interesting is tithing is not just a principle that we see isolated amongst Leviticus or the Old Testament church. Because not only did God teach tithing as a way of Israel to be in right standing, but scripture shows us that the principle, not the law, but the principle, are you with me, of tithing existed before and after the law. There's some things that transcend Mosaic law. For example, uh, in the Mosaic law, it says, do not murder. How, but how many of you have heard of Cain and Abel, right? And one murders the other, but it wasn't in the law. So is it illegal? Well, it was, there's principle still a principle, right? After the laws abolished, Jesus says, yeah, I know you heard it said, don't murder. I'm saying, don't even be angry. So is it, is he saying that there's no law you should murder? Well, no, because there's some principles that transcend, so in Genesis, let's go to Genesis. If you've got your Bible, jump with me to Genesis chapter 14. Ge Genesis chapter 14, verse 17, talks about Abraham. And there's some names here that I, even after all these years, and clicking the button on Logos software to teach me, it's, <laughs> my Aramaic is not that great. So we're going to butcher some of these. After his return from the defeat of... You guys nailed it. And the kings who were with him, <laughs> Chador Lamer, yeah, who were with him, the kings of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, you guys were going to get that one, king of Salem or the king of peace. I know Salem, that idea has an odd connotation in our culture because it's attachment to witchcraft, but the word is peace. He's the king of peace brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed Abram and said, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. It says, and Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So this is 500 years before the law. Abram encounters Melchizedek, who many people believe, as it says he's the priest of the Most High God, it says that he is the king of peace. Who do we know in Scripture that's the king of peace? Yes, the Bible school answer, Jesus, right, is the king of peace. So many people believe this is either Jesus or a Christ-like figure, but the principle is highlighted and celebrated. That's all we're noting, that the writer of Genesis makes time to stop and say, look at what is being set apart in honor of God. Genesis 28 says, Jacob made a vow. Jacob, descendant of Abraham, right? Made a vow saying, if God will be with me and I will keep, and will keep me in this way that I go, I will, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so provide for me, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I've set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. That word tenth, maser, all that you give me, I will give a full tithe to you. So this is 400 years before the law. Are you still with me? 400 years before the law. Now, 
the principle is standing before the law is established. Are you with me? The principle is there. Because it's a principle that spans all of Scripture. Deuteronomy 26, 13 says, Then you shall say before the Lord, I have removed the sacred portion out of my house, and more, moreover, I have given it to the Levite, the priest, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, according to all your commandments that you have commanded me. Did you know that God commanded his people to give, to care for the people in the house? Not only the house, but for the people surrounding the house. It says, I've not transgressed any of your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I've not eaten of the tithe while I was in mourning, or removed any of it while I was unclean, or offered any of it to the dead. I've obeyed the voice of the Lord my God. I've done according to all that you've commanded me. So that now is in the law. So 500 years before, 400 years before, now in the law. Remember, tithing is a principle that spans all of Scripture. Why? Because God wants to teach us where our money is, our heart will be also. So the New Testament. New Testament is written to the Jews, right? That is the shocking thing about the current wave of anti-Semitism in our culture, even by Christians. It's like our God is Jewish. <laughs> Peter. Jew, right? right? Paul, Jewish, right? Jews. The New Testament, guess who was written to first? It's not us. It's the Jews. Why? Because God desired for his people to come to know him. So the Jews understood the practice of tithing, but like all principles, they had honestly lost sight of the point of the law or the, the, what the law was trying to inspire in principle is that it wasn't just about 10, it was about the heart, right? The question was not just would, would God's children give him money? He doesn't need your money. He's the God of the cattle of a thousand hills. The question is, would the people give their heart? And the reality, the answer to that was no. They were more willing to give their money than their heart, or other people were willing to keep their money and their heart. And so Jesus corrects the leaders in Matthew 23. He says in Matthew 23, 23, says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Man, imagine if I just preached like Jesus. How, <laughs> how much hate mail? We, no, we already get it. doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. It says, for you tithe, mint and dill and cumin, and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These, the weightier matters you ought to have done while without neglecting the others. He says, these things you ought to have done while not neglecting the others. Listen, the Pharisees, you're the teachers of the law. You ought to not only be following the law that's been transcribed to you, but you should care about the state of your heart, right? The law was not just about sacrifice this, do this, be in this, make this more difficult, make the Sabbath more difficult, put a heavy burden on people, make them hate their lives one day a week. It was about where is our heart? What is my heart set upon? So he says, listen, yeah, that's great that you're following that. But you shouldn't neglect the weightier things, which are the point of directing your heart. And I often find that when people love to argue. People love to argue, say, well, the, the, 
the, the church, you know, it's, it's not tithes and we shouldn't have tithe. And Jesus abolished it through the resurrection. Everything that Jesus taught and talked about, that was all wiped away when he was resurrected. And it's like, then why did he say anything before he got resurrected? But apparently it's like everything's wiped away. But the reality is a principle is a principle is a principle. And the scripture is consistent. That's why we see Abram sacrifice to this high priest Melchizedek to honor Christ in Genesis and then all the way later in the book of Hebrews somebody say Hebrews we see the writer explain that Jesus is the high priest here's what he says Hebrews 7 1 he says for this Melchizedek king of Salem priest of the most high God met Abram returning from slaughter of the kings and blessed him and to him Abram Abraham, because his name's changed, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He's first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he's also king of Salem. He's talking about Jesus here. That's the context of Hebrews 7. He says, that is king of peace. He's without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils? And those descendants of Levi, those are the priests who received the priestly office, have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is from their brothers, though these are also descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descendant from them receives tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promise. Said so verse 7, it's beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it's testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor, that's a funny way to say that, when Melchizedek met him. <laughs> Jesus is fulfilling the priestly role. He's our high priest. Hebrews 7 goes on to discuss his role as our high priest. And he says, though mortal men might receive and steward the tithes, it is God who fully receives them. And I think this is important to remember. That Jesus came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. He didn't wipe away the principles of the law or what the law was seeking the children of God to understand about the Lord Most High. He came to be the fulfillment and the better of it. That's why in Matthew 17, Jesus recommends that even his own followers pay the tax to the temple. Why? They were Jewish. They went to temple. Sometimes we white Christian this thing way too hard right from the beginning. We're like, churches always look like a small Baptist church in Upland, Georgia. No! The early church went to synagogue. They paid the fees. They, they, they gave their tithe. They didn't leave the synagogue until they were kicked out forcibly. Why? Because that was their place to gather and to worship. That's why Jesus commanded those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And even in 1 Corinthians 9, he talks, or sorry, Matthew 10, he talks about that the laborers deserve his food. Again, why do I say this? Because Christ did not come to implement some new standard, but he did come to implement a standard of what it means to go beyond the law that was commanded into relationship with him. This new relationship as children of God and all the blessings that it contained did not come from ritual adherence to the law, but from loving obedience and reverence to God who loved us and came and died for us. This is why he commended the widow who not only gave a, a, a tenth, but her whole livelihood. 
Are you still with me this morning? I want to teach something better than fear-operated religion. I want to talk about what it means to follow Jesus and go above and beyond in relationship. If you read Matthew chapter 5, have you ever read the Beatitudes? Anyone here? The Beatitudes, right? Blessed are you if. Blessed are those that. Blessed are those that. Verse 17, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. What does he mean? Well, thank goodness he explains it. Matthew 5, 21, he said, You heard it was said of those old days, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And whoever says you fool will be liable to hellfire. And then in Matthew 5, 27, you, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What is Jesus speaking here? He's saying there's principles that go above the law. And do not think because I've come to abolish the law, I mean, to come to fulfill the law, that I've come to abolish principles pertaining to the law. And what, are they, what were they supposed to point to? Your heart. He's saying, I get that, you, that the law says don't murder, but what about being angry and speaking out against your brother? Doesn't that also speak to your heart? I get that the law says don't commit adultery, but if you're just lusting over a woman in your mind, doesn't that say something about your heart? I get that the law says that you should give, but if you're only doing this as some kind of boastful act, you don't actually care about God as your sovereign Lord and coming under authority to him. He's like, why are you even doing it? Do you see that it's about the heart? The principles of God transcend. Why? Because love goes beyond law. Love is rarely lesser than law. Let me explain how I know this. How many of you young men liked to drive fast in your car? Come on, be honest, okay. How many, of, uh, how many of you are fathers, young men who became fathers? How many of you drove fast with your infant baby in the car? Well, you're going to hell. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Other than Gabe, everyone else. <laughs> if, uh, as we look at the law, the law says you got to go the speed limit. But when I look back in my rearview mirror and there's an infant child, I go the speed, I'm 10 and two, I'm on point. And you should be too, Gabe. <laughs> Why? Why? Because love goes beyond the law. The law says go 60. Love says nobody come near my car. It doesn't say, well, I, that was the law, but now I'm operating in love, so I'm gonna go 95. No, it, it wouldn't make sense conceptually. The same is true in biblical principle. The law said give 10%. But love says give because your heart is directed towards God. It doesn't say don't give. It says give as your heart is directed by God. Matthew 6, 2. Jesus says, thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. Remember? They made it not about giving. They made it about themselves. It wasn't about their heart. It was about what they were doing. It says, they, they do this in the synagogues and the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they've already received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, Jesus is not removing the principle of giving. He's saying, when you give... 
But when you give the answer to your giving, it should answer the question, where is my heart? If you give, but it doesn't answer the question, where is my heart? We, we need to go back and evaluate because the point is that giving should answer the question, where is my heart? It's not just a law, it's a relationship and love goes above and beyond the law. See, people who have encountered and been changed by Christ are always generous. When you read about the historians writing about the early church, they talk about this transformation that happened amongst the Jewish people. It was a struggle to get the Jewish people to bring their tithes into the storehouse. They were not following the principles of God. Why? Because money shows where our heart is, and their heart was not for God. And it said they struggled, but then there was this group of radical Jewish people called Christians that began to give like never before. Why? Because those who met Christ give, not because of the law, but because of love. We've been changed, we've seen something, and we desire to see something even more. That's why Acts 2.44, it says, All who believed together had all things in common, and they're selling their possessions and belongings and distributing their proceeds to all as any had need. Can I just be honest? This is always interesting to me. I'm going to like make a joke, but it's also serious here. <laughs> When people don't want to give, they say, well, you know, Scripture says just give as the Lord says. And they say, look at the early church. They just gave as anyone had need. I'm like, great, let me give you a list of needs. We're about to wipe out your bank account. I've never met somebody who uses this as a reason to give, not, you know, uses this as a, as a uh, defining moment for giving who's very generous in giving. I've yet to meet them. Usually it's a reason to not give. Well, I don't want to give. I don't want to. And that's fine. You and the Lord. My job is just to equip you with the truth, to equip saints. And I'm telling you that the Lord, as he speaks, speaks a truth that says, listen, look, look at Acts. It's a group of people fully aware of the practice of tithing, fully aware, that chose to give above and beyond because they were led by the Spirit. They were led by God. And just like all scriptural principles, they said, yes, I know what's been commanded, but look at Christ. Look what he's given us. Let's respond generously. Let's go above and beyond. Are you with me? Love goes beyond. They went above and beyond what God had even commanded in the law that had been fulfilled through Christ, just like the other principles Jesus had spoken of. They gave, and as they gave, they discovered a truth that when they were faithful with a little, they were given much. When they returned what was God's, he blessed them in return when they brought in what belonged to the Lord when they gave generously the greatest move the greatest movement in the history of the universe took place why because they gave above and beyond generously it wasn't like well they said and I feel guilted and I should have done this in fact the only time we find that that someone did it because they were guilty they were struck dead by God when it was about the heart God said let me take that let me multiply it you think they were wealthy no so let me take it, let me multiply it. Jump with me to Luke 16 as we finish. Luke 16, 10. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. The one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you've not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? 
No servant can serve two masters, church, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Hear these words of the Lord. One, two, three, four, five, six words. You cannot serve God and money. I hope that hits you like it hits me, right? You cannot serve God and money. Band, you guys can come up. Hear me, church, but why, why are we sharing this thing? We talk about being kingdom-minded. Yes, we got these projects. When you go out, you're gonna get a card. It's gonna list, you'll scan that code. It's gonna list all the cool things that God's done and all the things we're believing for. But why teach on giving? Because I believe it's about the posture of our heart. And as the, as the spiritual leader in this church, I don't want anything to be holding you back Anything to be something that is a stumbling block between you and the Lord. Something where you're saying, God, I'm willing to give you everything, but I won't give you this. This is off limits. That we would be released of all things that would hold us back, and we would just run freely to God. And for many people, many people, that's money. So we encourage tithing here at Banner Church. Why? Because it reminds us that we cannot serve two masters. Tithing is the clearest way to return to God what is his and trust him to bless the rest. Now, you're not Israel, I'm not Israel, but the principles before and after, a good principle is still a good principle. Truth is still truth. And so every month we have it automated. 10% comes out, goes back to God. My wife and I were just actually calculating between this and kingdom builders. It's, you know, it's cool to see what God's done. We say, God, I trust you for everything and I serve you and you alone. People say, Pastor, what do I do with that? Say, man, just start. There's never a wrong time to begin obeying God. Right now is a perfect time. We just begin to say, God, I trust you in this. If you're feeling resistance to that, I encourage you, pray. Say, God, speak to my heart. Because again, this is a heart issue. It's not a finance issue. And I know it's a heart issue because it doesn't matter how much you have. It's where your heart lands that will decide whether you trust God in your finances. But not only do we encourage tithing, we're also a New Testament church, right? We don't stop at what was commanded because we believe that love goes beyond. That's why in Kingdom Builders, we have seen just truly unlocking extravagant generosity as directed by God, where we go to the Lord and we pray, God, what are you directing our family to give? My wife and I, we do that. God, how are you directing us to give? How are you calling us to give? How are you calling us to be generous, to stretch ourselves so that we can see blessings upon blessings around the world, so that we can see the gospel preached, so that we can see everything that Pastor Rob was sharing about, so we can see the gospel preached. You love that video? That's because somebody sat down with their family and they said, God, what are you calling us to give? And God said, and they were obedient to that number. Do we understand that that's how it works, church? It doesn't happen by magic. It happens by obedience. God, what are you calling me to do? And they stretch themselves. Lives have been changed. Hope is restored. Healings are delivered. Needs are met. Families are cared for. Children are equipped. Leaders are empowered because people are faithful in generosity. And so I want to encourage you this morning. Uh, would you stand with me? We're going to do two responses today. And we're going to end a little differently this morning. Because there's two responses. In fact, bow your head. The first response is, God, search my heart. 
and see, is my heart in alignment with you? Or as I've been hearing a message on money, immediately my heart's like, no. No. The pastor just wants us to give more today so he can get paid more today. It's not how this works. It's not how it works. But some of you, you have not trusted God in your finances and now is the time. You cannot serve two masters, the Lord says. So today, some of you, it's just time to release that control and say, God, I choose to serve you. God, I choose to trust you. And some of you, and you're like, it's great the church does kingdom builders and that's neat and all. But this morning, God's beginning to stir your heart and he's saying, listen, begin to unlock extravagant generosity and see that I will not bless you and build a legacy of faithfulness through Banner Church. And so maybe today you just need to pray, Lord, direct my heart and what to give. I wanna pray those two things here. And then in just a moment, we're gonna receive communion together. So if you're here and you're saying, God, I'm just choosing to trust you in my finances. Lord, I need to trust you in my finances. Would you just do me a favor? With our heads, we just lift your hands and say, God, I need to trust you in my finances. This does not mean you're an unfaithful, bad person. It just means you're like every person right now in inflation America that's like, God, I need to trust you in my finances. I want to pray for you, Lord. I just pray right now as we lean into trusting you through giving, God, that you would speak directly to us. God, that you would make a way where a way needs to be made. That you would bring miracles where miracles need to happen. That you would give peace that passes all understanding. God, we know that peace, miracles, movement is not going to come through holding on to more. It's going to come through releasing to you. So God, we release to you and we say we trust you. We love you. We recognize your authority and your sovereignty. And God, I pray over this church right now this morning. I pray that you would give us kingdom-minded giving. Lord, I pray over kingdom builders. God, I pray you would stir up generosity to see your kingdom advance around the world. You would stir up generous hearts and spirits to see not only in the house, but outside the walls, see the gospel advance like never before, that we would see every tribe and tongue come to know you and know the goodness of your gospel in your mighty name. I'm gonna invite our ushers. Would you come just begin to hand out communion? I thought this is a great way for us to end this morning. And I know it's eight. I don't know if you're warm. I'm warm. We're going to power through. Oh, thank you. If I pass out, I think they just call that slain in the spirit. <laughs> we don't do that. Don't fall down. <laughs> we don't have any modesty cloths. How many remember modesty cloths? Those are great. If you don't know, ask an old person. <laughs> We got some seasoned saints that have seen some good miracles. I honestly, if we pray for miracles and union a miracle and you're not coming up, like, man, I just want to encourage you, be stirred in your heart to come forward when we end praying for miracles. Because we have people who are just incredible prayer warriors. I don't know if that word's still good, who come in. Like, we were praying before service and it was fire. Yeah, it was amazing. And they want to pray for you. It's my brother Alex. They're passing communion. Alex, you back there? Alex was telling me this week that you were healed. You got prayed for by Candy 
and you were healed at the altar. That's amazing. Amazing, amazing. But I thought we'd end by receiving communion today before we pray, before we release all those things. Because I think nothing sets our heart upon God more than recognizing his heart for us through his death on the cross. Nothing says it's all about Jesus than making it all about Jesus. And as much as I long for us to be faithful in our giving and to be generous in our giving through kingdom builders, what matters to me is what I believe matters to the Lord, which is that our heart is set upon him. Are you with me? That our heart is set upon the Lord. So to me, nothing does more to remind us that than communion. We have these little elements here. One is this cup of grape juice. It's so cute. And, uh, but it, if we're being this small, it reminds us of something massive and incredible and universally important. It reminds us of the moment that Jesus, whose body for the bread was broken on the cross and his blood was shed for our sins, that he went to the cross for you and I so that we might have forgiveness of our sins and eternal life. When the believers would gather and they would give generously, you know what they would also do? They would receive communion because it would say, listen, all that we have is from God. Our whole life is from him. And so all that I live now, I give to him through communion. And so I want you to just hold these cups in your hand. And as you do, though some of you are still receiving, just bow your heads with them in your hand. Here's all I want to invite you to do is just simply you and Jesus say, Jesus, I surrender all of my heart to you. And then just ask him, say, search my heart. If there's anything that I have not laid down to you, that I've not trusted you with, that I've held on to, before you receive communion right now, you need to just repent of that. And by repent, that's not a scary word, that's a good word, to change our thinking. Say, God, change my thinking on that right now, to release it to you. I confess with my heart, and I say, you're Lord of my life. Jesus, it's all about you. Before I go online, before I automate giving, before I pick up that card in Kingdom Builders, it's all about you. Before I come to the altar and believe for healing this morning at, at the end of service, it's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. Hold the bread in your hand. Paul says, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Let's receive the bread together. supper he took the cup and said this cup is the covenant it's a new covenant my blood which is poured out for you all of your sins have been taken away through jesus christ the old is gone the new has come so everything that you do galatians 2:20 says for i've been crucified with christ and i no longer live but the life i live in the body i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me everything from this moment on is because of god's love let's receive of the cup and the elements together Here's how I'm gonna release you for time. It's 11.30. Some of you have kids, we're going wild. But every week we've been praying and believing uh, for miracles in the church. And I know we have party with the pastor. I'm gonna head out there. I'd love to, to meet with you. It's just right here by the front. We're gonna have lunch and hang out really briefly. Um, share a little bit about how this becomes that church and moves into being our church. Um, but I want to release us in this moment, whether you want to stay or go, that our prayer team is going to come forward. Prayer team, you can come forward this morning. And I want, we're going to pray for two things specifically. 
We're gonna pray for miracles of the Lord in, or I guess three things, in families, finances, and bodies. So if you need healing, if, if it's anything, you can still come forward, but we're really praying and interceding for families, for finances, and for bodies. So I'm gonna pray and then just release you to come forward and receive prayer, and we're gonna see God move, amen? Amen. amen. And those of you who wanna go, I just say be released. God, I thank you this morning that your spirit is here and it's moving in power and authority. And God, I pray today, God, that our hearts will be set upon you, whether it's through giving or whatever it might be, our hearts would be for you. God, that we would seek you, Lord, in all things. So God, we pray even now, as we believe for you to move in miraculous power, God, here we invite every moment of you into this space. And God, we release and surrender everything to you, God, because it's all about you. It's all about you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. All God's people say, amen. Well, our prayer team is gonna be here. Come forward. We're going to pray and believe together. But the rest of you, I say, be released. Have an incredible week. We look forward to seeing you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.